Well, good morning, everybody. It's awful good to see you. Uh, if, you if you're visiting with us for the first time, or it's been a while, uh, we're currently in a sermon series that revolves around the life of a man named David. This morning, I want to tell you a story that's found in the Old Testament uh, books of First and Second Samuel. The story actually begins in First Samuel chapter 31. That's the last chapter of that book. And then it continues into Second Samuel chapter number 5. Now, by the time we get to the end of the story, we will be at about the midpoint of David's life. So let me do just a brief, and I mean brief, little review about David. David was the eighth son and youngest son born to a man named Jesse. When he was about 17 years old, God sent a prophet named Samuel to find David and tell him that God had chosen him to be Israel's second king. Now, was there a job opening there? Uh, Not at that time. Israel had a king. His name was Saul. However, God was in the process of replacing Saul, removing Saul from office and replacing him with David. For a while, very few people knew this. Of course, the prophet Samuel knew this. David knew this. His seven brothers knew it. His parents knew it, but nobody else And then out of the blue, God launched David into the national limelight. How so? Uh, He set David up and enabled David to kill a giant named Goliath with a slingshot. Now that'll do it. That'll get you some media attention. The next thing you know, he's, you know, King Saul is so impressed by David, he hires him on his staff. He's at first a musician. Then he becomes the captain of his bodyguard. Then he begins to lead part of his army. Next thing you know, he's leading the entire Israelite army. And David is just successful at everything that he did. Never lost a battle. And through all this, people began to take note of David. And some began to figure out, I believe this guy is going to be our next king. One of the fellows that figured it out was Saul's own son, Jonathan. And Jonathan went to David and said, I can see the future that God has for you. I know you're going to be the next king, and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that happens for you. Well, the next one that figured it out was King Saul himself. And how do you think he reacted? He said, "Uh, over my dead body, I will never allow that to take place. And so Saul attempted to murder David on multiple occasions and failed. And then Saul included his entire army and said, you're going to kill him. And, and so David read, eventually read the handwriting on the wall and realized, the only way I survive is i got to get out of town. He went on the run. He became a fugitive. Uh, David left town with nothing but the clothes on his back. He ends up in a cave All alone, he's lost everything. He gets on his knees and prays, and God begins to slowly build a new life for David. In time, his parents and his brothers show up. They join him out there in the middle of nowhere. And then the Bible said about 600 guys, kind of a seedy bunch, they brought their families, and they 
joined David. It actually formed kind of an army, and David was their commander. And for a period of 10 to 13 years, 10 to 13 years, David lived out in the wilderness, constantly on the run from Saul and the army of Israel, always looking over his shoulder, just wondering, when is he finally going to catch me? When is he going to kill me? David eventually takes his men and relocates to a foreign country. And he and his family, 600 men and their families, are living in the Philistine town of Ziklag. And so that's our recap. Here's where we start the next story. You ready? One day a stranger shows up in town. And he's pretty haggard. He apparently has been through it. Ridden hard, put up wet. He wants a meeting with, with David. He goes before David and said, David, I got bad news and I got good news. Bad news is Saul's dead. He was killed by the Philistines. David's like, what's the good news? Good news is Saul's dead. <laughs> Been killed by the Philistines. Bad news is Saul's gone and three of his sons were killed, including Jonathan, who was David's best friend. But the good news is, David, he's not going to harass you anymore. This chase, this hunt is finally over after more than ten long, grueling, frightening years. You know what David did? He mourned. He grieved. You say, I guess for Jonathan. It was for Jonathan, but it was also for Saul. I don't really understand. There are times I don't understand David. He is now grieving and mourning over the loss, the death of a bitter enemy. And when he finished mourning, he offered a simple prayer up to God. And he said, should I go home? Should I go home to Judah? The southernmost portion of Israel. Should I go home? God's answer is pretty simple. Yes. Clear. Simple, yes. David said, is there a particular town in Judah where we should live? God, again, simple, straightforward, clear, Hebron. So David gets his family, his 600 men, they get their families, they pack everything, and they go back to Hebron. Now, when they get to Hebron, the people of Judah, they did something. They appointed David as their king. David became the king, not of all Israel, but only of Judah, which means he was going to reign over 20 to 30% of the nation. Now, is this what God was talking about when he said, one day you'll become king? Oh, no, 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 no. This was just a portion of it. Now, let me introduce you to a guy. I mentioned him a little bit last week. His name was Abner. He was the general over Saul's army, and Abner was a cunning dude. He he quickly saw that uh, he might be in a bad situation with Saul's demise, so he found one of Saul's sons, and I'm going to try once to pronounce his name. You ready? Once. Ishbosheth. Now, you see why? That's a one-time deal. You got it? From this point on, we're referring to him as Saul's boy. You got it? So Abner, the general, goes and gets Saul's son, and he has him appointed king over the remainder of Israel. And so this guy reigned over 70 to 80% of the nation, and David over 20 to 30%. As you can imagine, this is now a nation divided. 
David appointed general over his army, and his name was Joab. And Joab and Abner hated each other, and so these two armies were constantly in conflict. And the Bible says every time they had a skirmish, things worked out the same way. David's men won. So that David's men, his, his, his kingdom's growing stronger and stronger, and Saul's boy's kingdom is getting weaker and weaker. Abner, he's a sharp dude. He's a general for a reason. He, he understands what's happening. He knows that sooner or later, I'm going to be out of a job. Sooner or later, they're probably going to kill me. So he called a secret meeting with the elders of Israel, and he said, you know what I'm thinking? Why don't we just fire Saul's boy? And why don't we go over and say, David, why don't you just become king over all Israel? The leaders said... Yes, let's do that. Abner set up a secret meeting. He contacted David and told him what. So, so Abner, they have this meeting. Abner says, if you'll just trust me, I'm going to set the whole thing up. What do you think? Because after all, God told you you would be king of Israel. I can make that happen if you want me to. Well, David is elated. Finally, after all these years, it appears that God's promise is going to become a reality. So Abner leaves the meeting. He is excited. David is excited. Joab hears that Abner's in town and he murders Abner. So much for the plan. David is distraught like, does nothing ever work out for me? Nothing ever seems to go my way. Word got back to Israel that Abner, your leader, is dead. And the people started freaking out. And they knew it's a matter of time. It's a matter of time. And David and his guys are coming and it's not going to be good. Two of his commanders took matters in their own hand. They crept into Saul's boy's house while he was asleep. And they killed him. They cut off his head. Then they went to Hebron and said, David, we have a gift for you. Here is Ishbosheth's head. You know what they're saying? There's a job opening in Jerusalem. If you want it, you can be the king. Now look what happened next. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, it said, Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord did tell you, you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So there at Hebron, uh, do you see how David is addressed here? The next word is King David. (laughs) Not shepherd, not general, not fugitive David. King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel and they anointed him King of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 40 years in all. He had reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months. And from Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. There's something I want you to see here. I hope you caught it. I want you to see the timeline. Because 20 years prior to this, God made David a promise. I'm going to make you king. After all David went through, how many times do you think that he may have doubted that this was ever going to be a reality? Well, let me tell you what, after 20 long, confusing 
years, God kept his promise to David, and David was now king over all Israel. Now, what's the big lesson here? Now, this is a 17th sermon in this series, and in most of the sermons, we've learned very practical lessons. Well, this morning, I want to share a theological lesson uh, with you, and I know what some of you just thought, theology, oh, and no, uh, don't do that. All that means is this. I think in this story we learn a very valuable lesson about God. You ready? You can't always understand God, but you can always trust Him. You can't always understand God, but you can always trust Him. Let's think about David for a minute. Do you think it made any sense to David at all that God made him a promise and then waited 20 years to keep it? Do you think he understood that? Do you think he understood that timeline? Uh, I can answer for David. No, he didn't understand that. You know, in route to becoming king, David experienced a lot of tragedies. He lost his wife. He lost his job. Lost his home, lost his freedom, came to a point where he had lost everything but his own life. He buried his spiritual mentor along the way, Samuel, buried his best friend, Jonathan. Do you think that made sense to David? Do you think he ever said, oh, I get it, I understand what's going on here? I promise he never understood why there had to be so much pain and rout to becoming what God wanted him to be. Do you think David understood the route that God had led him? You're a shepherd in obscurity. The next thing you know, you're a, you're a, a celebrity. The next thing you know, you're a, you're a military hero. And then you're a fugitive. Do you think he, and, and all this weird roundabout route eventually leads to the throne? Do you think he understood the route? Well, I know why he led me here. And then, no. He didn't understand that. You say, how can you be sure? The Old Testament book of Psalms is a collection of songs and, and poems that have been written by people. Most were written by David. I read a lot of them this week. Man, I just read a lot of the Psalms. And I was amazed at how many times David asked God questions like, how long? When? How? Why? You know what that tells me? David was a man who did not understand God. He didn't understand what God was doing nor why he was doing certain things in his life. He didn't Get it. I hope you understand this that we share something in common with David. We have the same God, which means there are going to be times in our lives that we don't understand God. There are going to be times where you don't understand His time frame. You were absolutely sure that something was going to happen and 
It didn't happen. You were absolutely sure God was going to answer a prayer now, and he didn't. You're going to be like David. He's made some promise to you. You feel, and a whole lot more time has passed by since the promise was made, and you're thinking, I would have thought by now. There will be times when he allows things to happen in our lives that are painful, costly. And uh, I don't know, things that you prayed wouldn't happen, and they did. And things you prayed would happen, and they didn't. Things you just knew God will always shelter us. He'll always protect us. And for some reason, he didn't. And you're saying, I thought you were a good, loving, gracious, faithful kind God and yet you've allowed there's going to be times that we don't understand God there's going to be times that God leads you in a way that you would swear is taking you away from the kind of person he wanted you to be away from maybe the future that he and you're like this can't be right God I I hear what you're saying go that way but I know it's got to be that way there are going to be times that you and I do not understand God we clear on that You say, Ronnie, why? I, w- I want to read you a couple of verses, I think. I'll give, you, I'll give you one answer. These verses are found in Isaiah, Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. This is God speaking to his people. And I want you to listen to what he said. He said, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Did you see that? He didn't say, my thoughts are kind of like your thoughts. Right? My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond, not just beyond, but far beyond anything you could imagine or understand. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You say, why can't we, why are there periods of life where we don't understand God? Uh, Here's the answer. God's level of thinking is here. Our level of thinking is not on the chart. You with me? God's saying, you couldn't possibly enter into my mind and understand what I'm thinking. You can't. Apparently, he says, my ways, the, the, the things I do, you, you can't understand them. It's, it's, got, it's like God's got this big master plan that he's put together. And the only one who's privy to it is him. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows as much about tomorrow as he does about yesterday. And everything he does is to bring to fruition this master plan that he has created. And this is what he's saying. As I do what I do, you're probably not going to understand what I do. Because you can't see the master plan. You can't see the big picture. And so, I guess, can I make it this simple? You know why we can't understand God? It's because God's often completely understandable. Is that a word, understandable? You got it. Incomprehensible. The only way you and I can understand God is if he so chooses to break it down to our level and share it with us. I think that's the purpose of the Bible. Yes, for, there were things that God said, I do want you to understand this, so here it is. I'm going to help you. I'm going to break it down, put it on your level. But here's the thing. God may share an explanation with you. He may not. 
That's his prerogative because he is God. And we are mortals. I don't think he ever explained this to David. You know, I, I, I find all these questions that David wrote in the Psalms. How, why, when, why, oh, I can't find God. So let me explain the 20-year wait. I'll, just, let, let me, I'll explain to you what that was all about. And Oh, yeah, the hardship you went. Let me explain that to you. And, and this weird route, let me explain all that. I don't find it, man. I don't find it. I can't find that he ever explained anything to Job about his hardship. I can't find where he explained anything to people like Naomi and Ruth and the Bible who went through. I can't find that he ever explained any of that to them. And he may not explain it to us. So what do you do if you're going through a period of life where you just don't understand God? I don't understand what he's doing. Well, can I tell you what I do? I, 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 there th- I got three approaches. One, I try to figure him out. Huh? I try to figure him out. I put a, a lot of time, energy, effort. Man, I write things down. I type them out. It, I've got, I got this. Now, I got to tell you, I don't recommend that. Because his thoughts are nothing like our thoughts. And I've wasted a lot of my life trying to figure out a God that can't be figured out right? Don't do that. i tell you another thing I've done. Man, I, I've, I've got, I have prayed and demanded an explanation. I have called God on the carpet. I need to know why. Why did you allow this? Why didn't you answer that prayer? What are you thinking? When you go, I demand, I'm your kid. I demand an answer here. Explain yourself. Don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. Uh, I've never got an explanation. Sometimes I just get so aggravated with God when I do not understand Him that I kind of start distancing myself from Him. Don't recommend it. You ask Ronnie, what should we do? I'm going to recommend this. When we can't understand him, let's trust him. Let's trust him. They say, what do you mean? Let's just believe that he knows what he's doing. And that if we'll give him time, he will work things out in a way that's not only best for us, but everyone else who might be involved, be a part of the equation. That's what I mean. You ask, Ronnie, do you think David trusted God? Yes. No. Yes. No. David kind of went back and forth. You know, when he's in the Valley of Elah and he's got this giant standing out there and he's got the slingshot, he trusted God. And then all of a sudden one day he's sitting in the wilderness and he says, I'm getting out of the town, I'm getting out of the country, we're going to go live among the Philistines. It was obvious that he was no longer trusting God. And this is what I found. In periods of life where we don't understand God, there are great fluctuations in our faith. We believe, we don't, we believe, we don't, believe, we don't. David came to a point where He trusted God. Completely done, wrapped, end of story. Apparently it was after he took the throne in Jerusalem and God's promise had been fulfilled, something happened. Because in the Psalms I read this week, David's going, I trust the Lord. Emphatically, I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. And then he was admonishing others, you ought to trust the Lord as I trust the Lord. 
I think he learned some things about God in hindsight that locked in his faith. I think he learned this. God knows what he's doing. I think he learned this. God is able. He he sustained me in the wilderness. He provided for me. He protected me. He's able, man. Whatever he sends your way or whatever you encounter along the path, he's able to get you through that. And I believe you learned that God is faithful. He made me a promise I'd be a king. And I want you to look 20 years later. In spite of everything, I'm the king. You ask, Ronnie, how can I trust a God I don't understand? Well, this is what I'm learning to do. In those times, don't focus on what you don't know. Focus on what you do know. Don't focus on the why, how, when, all that, you know. Focus on what you do know. Here's what we already know. We don't have to learn this in hindsight. Here's what we know. One, God is wise. I want to read you a a part of a psalm that David wrote, Psalm 147.5. David said, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limits. Infinite, I believe, is the way the King James Version of the Bible puts it. Infinite in his wisdom. You know what that means? It means even when you don't think God knows what he's doing, he knows what he's doing. The second thing we already know is that God is able I want you to look at another verse. New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. The apostle Paul said this. Now glory to God who is able. Right? No more dispute about that. Through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish what? Man look at this. Infinitely more than we might ask or think. We serve a God who is able to sustain us. Do anything. Provide for us. Whatever we need. No matter what the circumstances. Protect us from any enemy or foe. And ultimately deliver us from anything that he might actually lead us into. And the third thing we already know is this. God is faithful. I'm going to read you a couple of verses from the Old Testament book of Lamentations. That's not a book that I normally read in my devotional life, but it's written by the prophet Jeremiah, and he's just described his horrific life. I mean, he is living a nightmare, and he he graphically describes what he's going through, and then he says this, but I got hope it could get better tomorrow. Where did his hope come from? Listen to these verses, Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23. He said, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Look at this, great is his faithfulness. Great, you know what that means? Faithfulness, dependability, reliability. You know what Jeremiah is saying? I know this. It's rough right now. I don't like this. But I got a God that's made me a promise. And in the end, he's going to come through for me because he always does those are the things we know about God we know listen don't focus on what you don't know focus on what you know God is wise God is able and God is faithful and you'll find the ability to trust him a few years back Dr. Bill Childs and I went to eastern Tennessee to fish two rivers we were going to fish the Watauga River and we were going to fish the South Holston River we had two outfitters two different outfitters and each one of them was going to provide us with a guide morning number one we're going to the Watauga our guide pulls up. He's driving this monster 4 by 4 pickup. I'm telling you if, you, if you just kind of imagine what would a guide drive, that looked to me like what a guide would drive. Now, he's pulling a boat. We were going to float these rivers. We we're going to fish them out of a drift boat. So our guide steps out of the truck, and I tell you, Keevan, he looked like I thought a guide would look. He was dressed like a guide. 
Man, he was. He had on the, all the outdoor apparel. He was neat as a pen. His name was Travis. He was a college graduate. He was articulate. He was ex-military. And I'm telling you, this dude was put together. So he took us to the Watauga River. I got in his boat, and, and I couldn't believe how organized. I'd never seen a fisherman as organized. I'm organized. Oh, he made me look like a slob. I couldn't believe how organized the boat was. And I just knew. He just exuded competence. And I just knew this is going to be good. And boy, we had a good day on the water with Travis. My Chuck Norris looking guide that day. So the next day we're going to the next outfitter. And Bill had been given directions that went kind of like this. Go north on Interstate 40 till you come to the big Shoney's on the left. You're going to take the exit there and go right and stay right until you come to a trailer park, which will be on your right. You're going to turn left at the trailer park until you come to a big field that's got two oak trees in it. One of them has fallen and one is standing. You're going to take a left again and you'll stay on that road till you see our shop on the left. Amazingly, we found it. The minute I saw it, my heart sank. I'm like, this is not going to be good. I said it to Bill. This is not going to be good. Uh, the building was just dilapidated. It was just falling in. The grass around the place was knee deep. Uh, and the, the backyard looked like a graveyard for drift boats. There were pieces of drift boats. There were trailers everywhere. Remnants of waders lying along the side of the building. And guess what? We had no guide. He wasn't there. We waited. We waited. We waited. And all of a sudden, you could hear this vehicle squeaking and kind of making all kind of weird noises. And around the corner came an 82 Chevy Blazer covered in mud. Guy pulls up, steps out, and says, morning, fellas. (laughs) Now, I'm a hillbilly. He made me look sophisticated. I thought, well, yesterday we had Chuck Norris. I guess we've got Gomer Pyle today. <laughs> he explained to us why he was late. said, i gotta, I got to get a few things before we go. Opened up his shop, went in, got a plastic bag, threw a few things in it, walked back to the boat. I'm thinking, well, everybody's got their own organizational system. We were running late. We go to the South Holston River. And they've got this big uh, boat landing where all these people are putting in these drift boats. And honestly, there were dozens and dozens of boats sitting out on the river. And then there was this long line of people waiting to put their boat in. Well, he didn't even get in the line. We just pulled over and he just got out of the truck, started talking. Well, Bill walks down to the river and the guy looked at me. His name was Matt. Matt looked at me and he said, you kindly worried about all them boats being down there, ain't you? And I lied. I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not worrying you. And I already told Bill a second time, this is not going to be good. He said, I got a plan. And you're going to catch fish. Trust me. I said, okay. I lied a second time. Okay, yeah, yeah, right, right. All the boats gone. He finally backs the boat in. We get in the river. He rows out of the middle. He drops anchor. He said, here's my plan. I wanted all those boats to go first because some are going to go down the right bank and some are going to go down the left bank. I'm taking you guys right down the middle. 
I didn't understand that. I've never done that. I'm thinking, well, okay, that's the plan. We're going to go right down the middle. He hands us a fly rod, and, and he said, uh, you guys ever, you ever done the Nevada bounce? I'm thinking, didn't come here to dance, man. Came here to fish. <laughs> he said, no, I've never done the, never done the Nevada bounce. No, no, no. He says, this technique for fly fishing, I learned out west. So he hands us these fly rods, and they got a piece of lead on the end of them as big as the end of your thumb. And he gave us a quick tutorial. This is what you're going to do. Do this, you know. My God. I don't understand. I've never done it. I've never fly fished like this, but I kind of tossed that big weight out there, you know, Bill. He said, Ronnie, you go that side, Bill, we go that side. We just both tossed them out there within seconds. Ooh, I could see a big rainbow. I turn around, look at Bill. Bill's back there. He's got on a big brown. <laughs> we doing the Nevada bounce, baby. We doing the Nevada bounce. <laughs> I'm digging this, Matt. I'll tell you something. For hours, it was that way. One, I mean, it's just we had doubles on just constantly. And then every once in a while, you'd see another guide coming with his drift boat, and he had a couple of clients about, and, and old Matt would do the same. He'd drop anchor. He'd say, stop fishing, stop fishing. <laughs> and the guy, the other guide would come up, and the guy would go, um, Matt, how are y'all doing? Oh, we catching one every now and again. Kind of hard today. And that guy would say, yeah, we're struggling, man, we're struggling. We'd let him get out of sight, and Matt would drop the anchor and say, go back to fishing, boys. Man, it's the same thing, boom, 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 boom. I don't know how many fish I caught, I just know I caught more than Bill. We get back to old Matt's shop, I walked in, I said, I need your contact information, not Travis's. I need yours. Because one of these days, I'm bringing my boy back here under one stipulation. You're going to be our guide. And this is what I said. Because I trust you. Hey, man, you know what I had done? Didn't trust him at first. I trusted him now because he proved something to me. He knew what he was doing. Matter of fact, he knew more about trout fishing than any human I ever met. He proved to me that he was capable. He was putting us on fish when nobody else was on fish. And he proved to me he was trustworthy. He promised me standing there, you're going to catch fish. And I caught a lot of them. Oh, Matt proved to be a reliable guide who was trustworthy. I want you to know something. Our God is a competent guide. You don't have to wait to learn that he's a competent guide. You already know that he knows everything. He can do anything, and he will do everything for you he's ever promised. So even when you don't understand him, you can trust him. Let's pray together. Father, you have both led us into and out of a lot of sticky situations. And I know there will be more ahead. I want you to help us to get this message. I want you to help us to get this. There are going to be parts of the journey where we don't understand what you're doing nor why. Help us recall this. And even when we don't understand you, help us trust you. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for being here.